friends, welcome to episode 61 of Storyteller Conclave. This is a show all about helping you run the best tabletop role-playing game that you can, whether you're a new storyteller or dungeon master learning the craft, or an experienced storyteller looking to take your game up to the next level. I am Sarah. And I'm Rob. How are we doing, Rob? You know, not too bad. Yeah? I wouldn't say too bad at all. It's been, uh interesting but again we're right before a holiday <laughs> yeah so like you know works a little lighter and you know we've got a little bit more time but at the same time you get the weight of the family stuff that's going down and they're making decisions like okay is it okay to go do things is it not okay to go do things yeah so yeah but you know all in all not too bad not too bad I got, uh, everybody's like, oh, we got Friday off. And I'm like, oh, isn't that nice? Must, 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 must be nice. Must be great. Must be nice. But, but at the same time, my workload's really super light. So. Exactly. Like, who's around? Yeah. It, so. it, yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. That's the way I always looked at it with, uh, I got a lot of bank holidays off, but there's mm-hmm. other holidays I just don't get off because there's stuff going on. Yeah. And it's the whole thing of like, okay, well, if everyone else is doing those other things, they're, they're not here for me. Like, right. I, I, I get to watch things and, and get things done that I've been waiting to get done for months because mm-hmm. there's nobody saying, oh, can you take care of this first? So. Yeah, of course, uh, you know, I'm, I'm complaining about not having Friday off when there's people who don't even have the holiday off. And Correct. Such like that. So Correct. Big shout out to you if you uh, if you yes. don't, uh, you know, thank you for keeping things running and uh, sorry. That, yeah, yeah. Unfortunately. And, and I'll say this. I'll honestly say this. I feel for all the service workers out there. I do, yeah. Who are not getting a chance to work on, on busy occasions like this, which would, I mean, they basically, this is their bread and butter for the summer. Mm-hmm. I mean... There are people who look forward to this time of year. It's very hard. You know, it's a lot of hard work, but at the same time, you know, this yeah. is it. Yeah. You know, so I feel bad. A shout out to all you people who are who are just trying to make it through right now. And, and I know, feel for you. Totally. If you're listening to this podcast, hopefully it brings a little Yeah, little a little levity. So let's not talk about that. Let's talk about something less stressful less less tr- <laughs> <laughs> that's that's a great segue rob a terrible into, into segue. tonight's topic <laughs> micromanagement which is, which is the, the pain of micromanagement <laughs> yes yes that sucks the life out of games at least some people think so but i don't think that's true all the time no yeah i i, I was gonna say I, i'm not gonna i'm not even gonna go that far because i don't i don't necessarily think that micromanagement is necessarily a bad thing i think it's just a different flavor all right let's define it before we get too far into it all right show sir so, so what we're talking about is is um all the little small uh, things all the li- <laughs> stop it or 311 will see will issue us a cease and desist <laughs> it will happen um it's all the little things that uh that, that need to be taken care of on a typical uh especially like like dungeons and dragons is probably the progenitor of this and one of the one of the larger offenders of things like tracking ammunition keep tracking your rations tracking every last little piece of equipment tracking weight coin down to the down to the down to the copper piece right but i think also we have to we have to give pay a little homage to where it came from the idea that you're dungeon crawling for money and that has weight like things have weight and that encumbrance means something when you're trying to drag as much of it as you can out and that idea carried forward yeah like no, it no. was just part of a system absolutely absolutely and in it, it, it i think it was it was always around for for D, especially in, in its origins but then it also kind of like spread into like i remember doing a lot of this in palladium mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know i had a i had a whole budget sheet written out for my my palladium characters and like certain things that were written down to kind of um uh, you know, fast track that sort of thing for me that I would buy on every character. Like later and on in like fifth edition, they turn these into adventurers kits. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. You know, we're like, oh, for fifty gold, you just get all of these things, so you don't have to go and buy them individually. You yeah, know? but but still, you're still looking at all those little things in there. You know. Well, and what's funny to me is that like, and it's it's funny in the evolution of it is that back in the day you had to individually make sure you bought the things that you needed uh-huh. and then somehow those adventurers have shops now and know better and basically just have pre-built packs <laughs> yeah. on the shelf i mean that's kind of what oh, it led going to going into a dungeon funny. here's yeah. everything you'll need it's yeah. the dungeon stay, you know stay at home hobby kit you know? you know this is coming from a guy with a peg leg and a hooked hand who you know has a great horn dragon head mounted to his wall mm-hmm. and packs and like everything laid out in his place is armor and it's slightly ding but that plate mail is gonna save your life one day son you know <laughs> and, unless you're on a ship then it will take your yeah, life in that case you really should be work looking at the stuff on the other side <laughs> right 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 um 
so I think really when when we're well a lot of what we're talking about when we when we talk about this micromanagement thing, mm-hmm. um, and, and we really want to examine the pros and cons of it. it I, to me, it comes down to a discussion about realism versus an abstract. Okay, um, I, I mean that's fair. I mean, okay, okay. So realism, of course, being the I need to manage every last little piece of my gear. Mm-hmm. I need to have a numerical value to the number of coins I have. I need to know how much this weighs mm-hmm. because my character can only realistically weigh, lift so much. Sure, you know, um, and so you've got a very detailed list of everything. And so there, mm-hmm. there are some people I think who really kind of enjoy that. Well, certainly. I mean, we wouldn't have games like SimCity or Dwarf, Dwarf for, you know, Fortress mm-hmm. or or Eve or any of these games where you have spreadsheets um, online. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, I mean, some of the games are far more detailed in how far they go down that rabbit hole. Mm-hmm. I mean, Factoria uh, and um, what, what what's the new one? The Satisfactory. Satisfactory. Yeah. Are that in spades? Mm-hmm. And honestly, if your mind finds that just amazing and wonderful and parts of me i think i find it pretty darn cool yeah um i can't get to the level of some people on it but then again i also can't get to the level of some fpsers so there's a medium ground for some of us Mm -hmm. and then there's the far ground of people who are like i want nothing to do with that because it's like a job i mean to to me i i'm i'm usually of two minds on it like one part of me says that i i do kind of like the the added touch to it where you know you need that sort of attention to detail and it does make you think a lot about you know what your character is how things are playing out and such like that so that you can kind of Paint your own picture. Like, you know how weighed down your character is. You know how big your backpack is because you've thought about it. You've done the math. Right. You know? On the other hand, there are times when I look at my character sheet and I go, I, I, I want this to be a, a character in a story, not a damn Tamagotchi. You know? I don't want to have to worry about feeding my character and making sure my character drinks and wiping my character's butt when they poop you know like that there's like a level of micromanagement that gets too much and you're like look i'm just trying to tell a story about swords and sorcery here i don't need to know if i've got 21 or 22 arrows can we just say i'm i'm a seasoned adventurer and i have enough right i mean at the same time like your character goes you know one of your characters that you're that's in your game as a storyteller goes and buys you know uh, very expensive silvered arrows mm-hmm. or or you know platinum arrows because they have to take out something and they only get 25 of them and halfway through the encounter you're like you're out of arrows and they're like no no no, no i still have four left mm-hmm. you know at least or, or why why does it matter how many i have left i haven't had to count my arrows up to this point and now you're like well i mean those are kind of different you know so how do you as a storyteller then in a relatively realistic way add a little weight to what they're actually getting Mm-hmm. And it doesn't make a difference. Um, I think in realism, if you're dealing with tactics, there's you have to set that expectation early mm-hmm. and kind of carry it uh, with what you're willing to accept. I think a lot of storytellers will say anything that is of a mundane quality, there's an upkeep cost for, and we'll address that as we go. Yeah, yeah, you sure. know that there's oh, you guys fell in the river. There's going to be at least a five gold upkeep cost on your gear. Mm-hmm. You know. But if there's anything that's not mundane, and that's really where the line can get a little bit odd, because you could say, like, okay, if you guys are buying silvered arrows or magic arrows or scrolls, those types of things are things you should be limiting yourself to. Limited and impactful. Correct. You know, I mean, a single arrow is not necessarily impactful because it's assumed that an archer has arrows. Mm -hmm. But a silvered arrow that is specifically for taking out undead... You know, I mean, that's that's something special. That's an extra resource that they they spent something on. And it should be dramatically appropriate and it should be limited. You know, exactly. It, it actually makes me think uh, a lot. A lot of us talk about bookkeeping and such. That, that makes me think back to uh, my Battletech days. Oh, uh, I, I think that's a perfect example. We uh, back in the day, we ran a mercenary uh, group and uh, the mercenary handbook oh god i don't remember what the name of the book was was it just was it just mech warrior mercenaries it was mech warrior mercenaries um had a whole system in there for uh negotiating contracts and mm-hmm. such like that and so my my group actually went through and followed all those rules mm-hmm. so that you know we could figure out what the amount of money was going to be for yeah. like 
uh, for for salvage and remuneration mm-hmm. and you know bounties and all that jazz. Figure that out all at the end of the day. Figure out what salvage rights we got and whatnot. And then we went through and we tallied up um, all of the damage that was done to our battle max at the end of the day. And we did like I mean it took a day and a half worth of bookkeeping, but. The thing was, it was dramatically important because, especially in that setting, your the mercenary group, uh, the mercenary company, lives and dies on its books. Especially in BattleTech, I think. Um, I mean, any time where you have the chance of limited resources or those resource chains being cut off, I think you are concerned. A lot of people do this in D anD D when mm-hmm. you start dealing with uh, uh, castles and fortresses, mm-hmm. where. Now you have supply lines to troops. Yeah. And you've got to manage those supply lines and how much is going where and what resources are going with what to make everything work in an army state. And I think that easily applies to extended battles with like, you know, uh, Warhammer or Warhammer 40K. You could include, I I think actually has some rules for extended battles um, that are on a larger scale. I know Mm -hmm. Epic did. Uh, at that scale where you're dealing with titans and ships. Oh, God, yeah. Um, yeah I mean, that's all so, there is huge battles like But that. that's it's a very tactical system that requires you to have those, but not every system is tactical. Mm-hmm. But resources are still important. Um, one of the things that um, I had I'd originally put in here that kind of adds a sense, a sense of realism but is in an abstract form, I think, is Seventh Seas Wealth System. Mm-hmm. Because your character's status in certain areas is completely dependent on their wealth. And your wealth can go up and down based upon whether or not you have patrons or whether or not you've uh, you've amassed something or taken something from someone. In the case of Adachi, you, you are, the holdings are a whole thing. Uh-huh. But holdings of wealth is not only a matter of what you physically own, but what you have control over. Right, right. So right. you may have control over a whole group of sailors. So now you have a merchant fleet mm-hmm. and that's wealth and a standard and they were they fly your flag but at the same time those aren't those aren't liquid assets like you can't take your sailors to the bank no, and deposit them you know but if i do walk into court and i'm go and i'm having to set my views against another's mm-hmm. i may garner more favor from others sure sure so it's i i still consider it a a quantifiable resource mm-hmm. for those types of games. Sure. So I think resources and encumbrance, to a degree, mm-hmm. um, comes how down... How much does a sailor weigh? <laughs> how much does it weigh on your leadership? How much, is it, how much do you need to support it? And those kind of numbers, you can get into some serious numbers games there. Mm-hmm. So... Um, and again, I think that that's a whole level of role-playing that I don't think either of us really get into. But there's groups out there who absolutely love it. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I've watched people just glow talking about their oh, stuff. Oh, what was that system? Birthright? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. Yeah, Birthright back in the day where, uh, I mean, the whole the whole thing was you were like the lord of an entire kingdom. The kingdom was essentially your character. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was, I mean, I can imagine the resource management in that. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, but but that's, but again, that's, that's where a lot of these latest games had their roots was actually in, in like war simulation Mm-hmm. And then people started slowly taking on roles in these battle simulations, and then all of a sudden role-playing was born from it, and you want to tell all these elaborate stories. Uh, but you did you did touch on something really interesting, though, where you started get, talking about the, the, the abstract resources. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Seven Seas is a great example. Um, I, uh, I really liked White Wolf's. Uh, White Wolf uh, games, and that would be the, like, the World of Darkness, uh, the Aeonverse um, that I talk yeah. about all the time. Yeah. Um, so a lot of uh, everything with them is dots, you know. It's a it's a rating of zero to five, right? Essentially. Right. Um, and so in there, you've got resources. Mm-hmm. Um, well, you've got a whole section called backgrounds, yeah, which are which... kind of like a lot of different types of resources that are yeah. available to you. Yep. Um, but specifically, like when we're talking about like what's in your what's in your wallet, you know, <laughs> yeah. what's in your wallet, uh, is a um is your resources background. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that'll be rated 0 to 5. Yep. Or 0 to 6 if you're playing Adventure Tales of the Aeon Society. Right, correct. Because wealth beyond avarice is a thing. Yeah, <laughs> and money just basically... You, you don't have to think. He you ever wanted to be Bruce Wayne? Yeah. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's wealth beyond avarice. Yeah. Um, and uh, so there... But but how you use that, you know, so it's, it's not like an, a list of items or a... Um, 
uh, or a, 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 a discrete number of coin right or or you know a, a number in your bank account it they they give descriptions where it's kind of like you know if you liquidated all of your assets it'd be about $100,000 worth of stuff you got right. a, a small home an okay car and some equipment you know sort right. of thing um but basically how you would use the the, the resource stat is when you wanted to to purchase something if there right. was if there was a question of whether you could afford it right you would roll your dice in resources mm mm-hmm. mhm and if you garnered enough successes, you were able to liquidate enough assets to to get it. Right. Um, certain higher end items may give you a temporary reduction. Mm-hmm. So you no longer have the resources available to count as a full resources three. Now for for a while, you're going to count as a resources one because <laughs> you blew your entire budget on this. Right. And you right. Take some time to save back up. You know, no, no, I, it's I, not a permanent reduction. Like you didn't have to sell your house or you know, or your car or anything, but your bank account's empty. You know, yeah. I mean, you, you can do the same type of thing in Seven C with its wealth system. Um, whereas, like a simple, you, you could be a beggar. You can have the Patreon mm-hmm. uh, or a patron, a patron, uh, a patron, <laughs> a patron of uh, of you. Um, you know, where you're you're an artist of some kind, or you're a merchant and therefore have a steady income, mm-hmm. or maybe you're noble and you've got lands and taxes and things like that, or you have some other thing. And all those are levels, which again fit that kind of description. I think the flip to that is something like. Uh, Shadowrun, where you have a lifestyle that you have to pay for. Mm-hmm. So now, instead of you getting something in the sense of resources and wealth like that, now you have to fill out your lifestyle. Yeah, you have to go work, make money to pay for said lifestyle. Yeah, and there's the upkeep on that side. Um, but that lifestyle gives you certain benefits. Mm-hmm. You know, it gives you clothes, it gives you a place to live, it gives you a certain sense of security, and because of that, now things are either easier for you in other ways. Mm-hmm. You know, might give you access to a laboratory, might give you access to uh, medical supplies. So mm-hmm. now, when you come back, you're injured, you can get easier heals. You know. Yep. Fair enough. Uh, I also uh, wanted to bring up like the Apocalypse System games, mm-hmm. uh, which are pretty popular. The uh, Dungeon World, Apocalypse World, uh, Urban Shadows that we talk about all the time. Um, often, a lot of your belongings on there, like you don't even get down to um, you know the, the the big list of adventuring gear. It's literally just things that are dramatically appropriate. Mm-hmm. And especially in the Apocalypse System, usually it's it's checked off of a list. You know, you can have one of these four items as a starting item. Um, very much like uh, starting equipment does done in fifth edition D and D, uh, and so like your your you know urban shadows wizard might have like a forty five caliber revolver, a wand, and a beat up VW Beetle, but nothing else is listed. It's just kind of assumed that you have anything else that is dramatically appropriate. Correct. Um, and again, it's it's a level of abstraction. Like there aren't even rules for it. Really. Right, right. Like, it doesn't even get into it simply because it is a dramatic, you know, uh, uh, sort of uh, narrative style game. Right. That, you know, bookkeeping is not a part of it. Yeah. They don't even have a system in there for hard initiative. Right. Because, again, because once you step away from the tactics of the situation, that doesn't have the weight any longer. Mm -hmm. If death is not an end. You know, if it isn't, if that isn't your, the goal is, is whether you have success or utter failure, mm-hmm. everything else starts sliding back from that. Okay. So then what is, where are you moving? Well, it's, it's investigation now. No. Okay. So now we're going to talk about where your challenges really lie. Mm-hmm. Where are the weights? Like what, what's, what's, what's meaningful? Mm-hmm. You know, what, what's going to change the, 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 the scape. You know, if, if I'm Bruce Wayne can I really find everything that I want with just money? And the answer is no. There's still going to be mysteries that outstretch your hand that you will need help from something else that money can't necessarily buy. Hey, uh, real real quick. Sure. I don't mean to interrupt you here, but no. uh, uh, I was wondering if we can just ban Knox in the Box from our chat. I think so. Uh, he says, we have lists in the apocalypse. You have to have your apocalypse. No, that's over. That's... That's a terrible pun. That is a terrible That's pun. That's a terrible pun. Um, That's a two-week banning? The, one of the mods just to ban him, please. Yeah, yeah, please. Thank you. Okay, Thank good. You. Okay. Um, <laughs> uh, so then we go We go one more. Mm-hmm. City of Mist. 
Yeah, which pushes it even further. We created characters for City of Mist mm-hmm. uh, over this last week. We, we, uh, we're, we're working on them. We're working on them, yeah. Um, I think I've got mine more or less, mm-hmm. more or less polished off, but i got to talk to our storyteller. Uh, and... Uh, yeah, I mean, you don't really even have an equipment. Like, there's not even that bare minimum of equipment on there, I don't think. At least not that I saw. Um, no, not really. I mean... There's, like, a, a, a relic background, or, you know, sort of sort of aspect you can take to your character. But that's, like, a story-significant, like, major item. source of your Correct. power sort of thing, you know? Otherwise, it's just assumed. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, if I'm an old guy who owns an antique shop... I have an antique shop. It's assumed that I have clothes and, and, and maybe a way to get there. Maybe I live above it, you know? But then again, that's all narrative. That that doesn't necessarily weigh into the mystery of the story. It's just there. It's, yeah. it's editing that you do and, and make assumptions. And I think we get closer and closer to accepting a level of trust with the between the players and the storyteller and the, the, the other players. Uh, when you get into these types of things where you're you're loosening the rules and increasing the narrative. Um, one of the easiest ways that uh, I look at this is I take it back to childhood, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you had that friend that when you uh, went over to their house to play with Legos and you start putting something together, they tell you, no, 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 that's not how it's built. And you're like, we're playing with Legos. Like, what do you, what do you mean that's not how it's built? I'm, I'm building a flying, you know, skateboard. No, 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 it's got to have wheels. And, and if you're going to have jets, it's got, these are jets. You have to use these jets. So they're setting the rules mm-hmm. for the world. Yeah. Right? Sometimes they're like, no, you have to play with the set and mm-hmm. build it as the set because that's what was on the box. Right, Because right. in their mind, that's the rule set to work within. And as we slowly move between our groups, we find that there are groups that are like, yeah, I'm okay with playing you know, doing a Harry Potter story where we're all using pencils or whatever we want as our wands and we're literally just making crap up as we go. Yeah. You know, those, I'm a big dragon. Those Ooh. are the people who look at your leg, whatever Lego creation you're making and go, seems cool. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Let's Ex- go. Exactly. Like, it doesn't matter because mm-hmm. the story is more important than anything else to them and they're there to just keep adding to the story, to yes and their way through it until whatever completion you come to. Yeah. And I'm not saying that one is better or or correct than the other. I'm saying that it's different ways to play. Oh, and, yeah, yeah. And absolutely. that's the important thing that I think any of our... I mean, if I can get anything out of this podcast to people is is that there is no right way to play. Right, right. I, I think, like, we... You know, Rob and I both have our own, like, opinions on the matter. I, I know where my opinion sits on it, but... Like, in no way at all, like, the people who, you know, do enjoy those, you know, deep level of micromanagement of every little aspect of their character, like, I see the appeal to it. I I don't personally like to play that way, but that's, like, that's, you know, my flavor, you know? I like coffee over tea. Rob likes tea over coffee. Totally. You'd rather have me have tea over coffee, I assure you. He gets angry, apparently. I'm like freaking Hulk. <laughs> I, I kind of want to just see it one time. No, like, you don't. You, there's a few people you can talk to. You don't want to see it. Okay, that's it's very jerky. It's it's not like I get angry either. I just I'm a jerk. Just the snark it's, level it, just it, goes up. It's real bad. That's weird. It's real weird. How much whiskey do you put in your coffee when you do this? None, because like... I'd probably be better if there was whiskey in my coffee. <laughs> <laughs> and this is why you come to our podcast <laughs> to discover the insightful things that make us tick. Right, right. Uh, so what are what are some what are some pros and cons? Um, you know, I, I would say, and, and again, I'm trying, I'm trying to think about this from a direct point of gameplay versus right or wrong. Mm-hmm. So, um, I would say if you're going to be doing something in an abstract sense, the pros are that it's fluid. It's easier in the sense that it doesn't, you're, there's no stumbling points on keeping track of things. And if you miss something, you miss something and you move on. Yeah. Um, it makes it, it feel like. Uh, your character sheets have to be it could be just a three by five card with a few notes on it. See, and and I that's that's right where I love like mm-hmm. I I love when I, when I can keep an entire character sheet on a post it note. You know, um, I I don't like all that little sort of thing. And that's one of the reasons why I love uh, uh, WRNM by Stargazer Games so much. Mm-hmm. Uh, because because there are there is so little bookkeeping in it. Um, for me, uh, like I I I think it's it's a lot more flexible um and you have a lot more time to just play the game rather than like having to stall the game to look up how much a coffee mug costs 
in the player's handbook, you know? Mm-hmm. And and we've done that before, too, where it's like, I want to buy two horses. Oh, okay, hold on, let me look up the cost of a horse to see how much gold that costs. Like, And I'm sighing not because I don't want you to buy a horse. Like, don't get me wrong. Like, I'm happy to do this as a as a storyteller. And, I, you know, I signed up for the job. Don't get me, you know. but, but Right. But at the same time, I know that now I'm going to need to break, you know, the the, 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 uh, the pacing of my narrative to look that up so that we can keep that, you know, to, to keep the books on that. Right, right. Um, but it's, it makes it, I, I would just say it's gaming light. Mm-hmm. And that's the easiest way that I can say it. Um, I would say in a con. Yeah. Uh, for the people who need the detail to help it in their minds. Because, mm-hmm. um, again, we know we know there are player types who have a hard time with the mind's eye and seeing things and having tangibility. Mm-hmm. And they need maps, structure, physicality, notes yeah. to help them with the visualization. Mm-hmm. And so that kind of level of detail gives them a much broader image. Like when uh, – and this is funny. I talked to a developer about this at one point. I said, um, when you look at the code, does it help you more than seeing the actions of a user? And they said, in my case, it does. Mm-hmm. Because I can see exactly what the software is doing, regardless of what they're doing with their hands on the keyboard. Oh, right. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay. And I look at the code and think, that's just a loop, and that's this. And like I, I can't see what it's doing. But to mm-hmm. them, they can see all the variables. They know all the events. They could step through it clean. And so in that sense, it's a different visualization. Yeah, I don't even see the code anymore. I just see blonde, brunette, redhead. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. That kind of feeling to it. So you you kind of have to remember that there are, di- just as there are different learners, auditory, visual, tactile learners, there are different gamers who need values to certain things to help them. And I think that's something important. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it's a con when you remove certain aspects from games when a player might really need them. Uh, I, I think for me, um, the probably the biggest con is that it relies so much on trust between the storyteller and the player. Mm, um, and if you don't have that, or if you have a player who will take advantage of that trust, you've got people going, well, it can be reasonably assumed that I've got this powerful thing. And you're like, can that, can that be reasonably assumed, you know? And they either, they, they either cause you to need to check them on things constantly um, and say no to them, mm-hmm. which honestly dra- is draining. It is. Because you, you, you want the story to flow. You want to all just kind of be friends and just having this big collaborative storytelling experience. But when somebody is trying to add things into the story that would, you know, if they're trying to marry Sue their way through the story, essentially, mm-hmm. you know, and then you're like, uh, I don't know if you have a plus five Holy Avenger just sitting around, you know. Well, and that's the thing is, is that um, I think that level of trust comes from knowing your players and knowing what works for you as a storyteller and being prepared to look at certain players and say, Hey, you know, I need you to talk. We need to talk about this on the side. I Mm -hmm. need to let you know that it feels like you're railroading your character perfectly. Every time you're Mary suing your way through every situation, you always have everything you need. You're never, you know, playing off your weaknesses. You're rarely role playing your care other than your character other than a perfectionist. And they may not see it at all. Sure. Sure. That may not even be in their visual acuity. And they might be like, well, what do you mean? No one else is having fun, including myself. Mm-hmm. Like as a storyteller, it is draining for me every time I come to the table. And you're just waiting for your chance to blurt out the perfect solution. So you win. And exactly. We're not here to win. No. You know? We're here to have a story, and a story has conflict, and a story has consequences, and a story has actions. Yep. And and sure, like, I'm literally going to have to take you out of, your character out of the scene to have a scene. Mm Mm-hmm. So. So. All right. So, one other thing we wanted to talk about tonight is, you know, where's the line? Uh, Is it too much? when, When does a game get too real? You know, when are you, when does micromanagement turn into, uh, like, um, when, or I should say, when, when does it go from, we, we need to manage some resources to solve problems that are dramatically appropriate in the story and turn into, I'm playing Tamagotchi, I'm, I'm playing Life Simulator sure. here, you know? 
Um, and I guess I've got some opinions on that, but I think I wanted to, I wanted to kind of hear your answer first. I would say for me, it comes down more to how your players are like, again, communication is key. Um, but if you're, if you find that your players really do enjoy the minutia, mm-hmm. get to a level of minutia that doesn't slow the game. Mm-hmm. If you are literally struggling every session, uh, to get to role playing that they want to do, versus them deciding what gear they're buying that week. Yeah, yeah. You know, if it takes you that much longer to do that, then it needs to happen in an appropriate time. It's still good to keep <laughs> shopping it the game. episode. Right. There, there's nothing that says you can't use other technology or you know emails mm-hmm. or text messages to negotiate between. Hey, this is your gear sets. Make sure. So tomorrow night when you walk in, we're going to open the scene with you guys walking into the dungeon. Mm-hmm. So anything that happens before that, and I, I think minutia, even if you're talking about like weights and encumbrance and buying gear or talking to certain people or working out certain details mm-hmm. or dealing with social interactions before the scene, if any of that stuff starts weighing down too much, you need to talk with your group and kind of reduce it mm-hmm. so that people can get so that when you get to the table, you're prepared to enjoy and have the story, right? Because mm-hmm. there's nothing worse than you're going to do a movie night and... Just as you're sitting down, you've got the movie paused right at the opening, and someone's like, like, I'm going to make popcorn. i got to go to the bathroom. Oh, hold on a second. My boyfriend just texted me. Right. Yeah. And now it's an hour later, and and you're just about to start the movie, and someone says, is this the second one? I haven't seen the first one, so can somebody fill me in? (sighs) Or I missed last week's episode. Can anybody kind of give me a heads up on that? Mm -hmm. It's all all the same thing, and you can feel that just in, in our conversation that we're talking about, like... The same situation. So details are only as good as they help the story move forward or help you enjoy the game more. Once they become a stumbling block, it mm-hmm. is time to identify that stumbling block and remove it. We watched a, uh, a YouTube video earlier, um, and I'll see if I can find the link to it, uh, that was called The Tyranny of Fun. And it was uh, largely about these micromanagement things and how a lot of these rules end up kind of getting thrown out mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, just simply because uh, people take one look at the encumbrance rules. People take one look at, you know, a lot of the, the, the adventuring gear rules right. and they go, this isn't fun for me. Right. You know, and at what point, you know, is, are are you like ripping it's out more whole... of a guideline. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, I love that. And, and so I, I guess, you know, I, you tend to see a lot of people who are who are willing to just uh, I don't know they, they they kind of find their own like middle ground for it. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, uh, I I think there's a tipping point to it. I think there's a point where, um, where the resource management can be a fun adventure. Uh, and like Knox in the box asked us uh, uh, actually as as his question for this week. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, similar to embracing low scores and faults of your character, what are some players? Some ways players uh, can embrace encumbrance and not feel overly crippled in gameplay slash roleplay, uh, and view it as a fun challenge instead. Uh, are there examples of encumbrance that can work both positively and negatively? Um, and that actually got me thinking then of like. You know, kind of tilting the scale the other way. When does resource management become almost the the game itself? Right, right. And I think, and then there you, was a... you mentioned this earlier. Yeah, and yeah. that is in the old school dungeon crawling Correct. style thing. Like when you have a treasure hoard, mm-hmm. you know. And I I think this actually happened at one point, like in in Critical Role, if I'm remembering correctly, um, where the uh, the party had defeated a dragon, and they had uh, like just a huge treasure hoard. That they that mm-hmm. they didn't claim, um, and of course they wanted like, oh, we would take all this dragon scales and all this dragon hide and stuff like that. You can make armor out of yep. it, yep. and even if you don't, it's valuable. And yeah, you know, dragon fangs and dragon horns and dragon claws, and I mean, this is not a small creature. So each right, one right, of those right. fangs was pretty sizable. They had twenty of them, et cetera, et cetera. Right. Not to mention whole slabs of dragon hide on top of the horde. And they were like, okay, and then we leave, and they're like, okay, how are you getting the horde out? Yeah. What do you mean? I mean that 50 gold weighs, you know, X amount of pounds, and there is 500,000 gold here. 
on top or underneath this body of a dragon. Underneath this body of a dragon that you've butchered for probably it, like you, That's we're talking two tons clearly, of dragon. Yeah, yeah we're, we're talking clearly three or four tons worth of stuff here that you're trying to move. How do you get it home? Yeah. Oh. Oh. Shit. Yeah. 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 Well. Yeah, on one hand, that's resource management, mm-hmm. and yeah, it sounds tedious, but I think it's it's so plot-consuming that that then becomes the next leg of your adventure, you know? Yeah, who's going to try and come get it now that there's a vacuum? Mm-hmm. Like, wh- that was another one that I looked into, was I was trying to see where resource management made a, a difference, mm-hmm. and so... The group, basically, the the main part of the adventure was the group going and taking out, I think it was a troll king. Okay. He basically had uh, usurped an area from another lord who had a castle that was built into a mountain. Basically, they chiseled it out of a mountain. Sure. Um, And he's like, once it was finished, he was like, hmm, seems like a perfect place for me to move into. And so he did. Mm -hmm. And he brought, like, a troll army with some other, like... Uh, lesser things that he basically had control over and took over this castle and keep and lorded over the whole area and was a jerk. And so the group was going in to basically uh, return the the true rightful king Mm -hmm. um, who, you know, had gathered a a rebel army, if you will, because obviously the the commoners weren't going to go against the troll king and they basically were just feeding him. Sure. Um, So they went and took him out. Well, once they got there and they took him out, it was mostly just them who finished it up. You know, obviously the king's army didn't make it in or do anything like that. They now had a whole bunch of riches that were there. Mm-hmm. Some of it was the old kings, but some of it was other things that the troll had brought in, this troll king had brought in. And it was quite a lot. And they were like, okay, great. Now we got to get it out of here. He was like, they were just like, yeah, so we're going to, we're going to, you know, get it out. They're like, he's like, and we'll do that next adventure. What do you mean? You're now in a castle. There's an army outside with a king. You're just going to walk it in carts past him? <laughs> yep. I'll see you next week. And literally the next four weeks of adventure was them trying to figure out a how to hide a couple tons worth of gold and items. Oh, and then get it past that king and like out to somewhere. Because mm-hmm. they didn't have a home base can we can we hire a mimic <laughs> you know and that was the kind of thing is they were trying to figure out like how many bags of holding do we have yeah how how much will that really hold before it breaks right and burps everything out you know and and all of that was like weighted on them and they're like geez this is an adventure like a reverse dungeon adventure in itself they're oh like, yeah yep because that king's coming in shortly like like the whole first day was them trying to convince him not to come in because there were still terrible traps and things that they had to take care of uh-huh. to give them like a day to clear out things right. and find something to do with it and then from there like okay guys we gotta get this shit out of here now <laughs> so i mean i think you can have certain fun in it too um, if you plan for it well, the first thing, the first thing I thought when, uh, when I was thinking about the solution of how to get the, the treasure out is like, you know, oh yeah, we go, we go and hire people with carts and such like that to come up mm-hmm. here and help us move it. And then like, okay. And when those guys get up there and see more money than they've ever seen before, and you're alone in a cave with them, do they get greedy? Do they try mm-hmm. to jump you for it? Do they betray you and try to, exactly you know, and then... You know, what What if you end up killing them, you know? Right, And then, right. you know, a bunch of peasants with carts went off with you and then didn't come back. What sort of reputation do you gain, mm-hmm. you know? There's all sorts of stuff that starts happening when that mm-hmm. much money gets involved. Yep. And uh, yep. sometimes that can be part of the adventure. Um, the, the other half of Knox's question, though. Sure, sure. Is what are some negative aspects of things like encumbrance? Oh, I mean, I, if I, you if you follow the logic of Skyrim, you stop moving. <laughs> <laughs> well, Which video games do a good job of that as well. Like you just don't have room for everything. Yeah, yeah. Uh, mostly, I, I don't know if Skyrim's really the example you want to be holding up there when no, you can hold no. twenty suits of armor before it even starts slowing you down. I agree with that statement, but at the same time, <laughs> I think it's I think video games to a degree have set us a, a certain unreasonable expectation, and then at other times a reasonable too much of a reasonable expectation. Mm-hmm. You look at stuff like Diablo, where you literally have a backpack you have to organize and arrange. Yeah, you know, because it may not fit right. There were a few other games uh, I want to say. Uh, it wasn't, uh, Destiny, it was, uh, it wasn't Div- Divinity, it was one of the other 
dungeon oh i think it was dungeon siege had a backpack that you could turn items to try and fit them a certain way in the backpack as well and so you you could deus ex did that too yeah yeah yeah. and i think like those kind of mechanics are neat but at the same time you could also i mean i I know there are house rule sets for people who Mm -hmm. are like okay well you can have you know four rings you know uh you know four belt pouches you know belt slots your belt slots can carry up to four bags your backpack can have 20 slots in it you know and then you have to start thinking about well what constitutes a slot you know Mm -hmm. and things like that and so you can get really min maxi on those types of things but then you also have stuff like BattleTech, where literally you have allotments you know exactly how many slots and things fit in certain places right right. um and it makes it very simple to say i'm a large creature or a large thing and therefore i have this much space Mm -hmm. you know whereas D &D was like yeah you've got the strength of 10 so you can carry 170 pounds yeah how easy is that once you have 170 pounds to do everything you're doing see that's actually that's that's the problem. I, I don't think, uh, maybe even in 5th edition, that, that they really did the math on a lot of these things. is Because um, in, in D&D, I've rolled up characters, first-level characters, who couldn't carry their starting equipment. Like, already at character creation, I came out of it encumbered. Mm-hmm. Because it was a suit of armor, mm-hmm. a couple of weapons... That adventuring pack that I mentioned earlier that has, like, spare clothes, ten candles, ink and paper, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And you end up with, like, 75 pounds worth of stuff on your back, and you can only, like, move with 40. And it's like, wait, hold on a second. You're literally handing me all this stuff as starting equipment, but the character itself isn't designed to... Yeah. Like, where do I put this? On your horse. I don't have anything. On your horse? what horse exactly. i'm a first level character you exactly know? exactly <laughs> you gave me five gold to start with and a horse is like 50 you know? so so the first thing that comes to my mind is something role-playing like where you've got mm-hmm. that <laughs> where you've got that kid coming into school dragging his bag at the ground come on guys i need can, can you somebody help me like, <laughs> anybody please and you've got like the ogre who's literally got a tiny little pack on his shoulder and a giant mace yeah. looks down to them and literally picks them up and just starts carrying them <laughs> Well, I, I, I think I think honestly that the, the realistic answer is um, that's where you start getting into uh, the lifestyle rules. Exactly. And so, I mean, if you are assuming a what is it? What is it called? Like a moderate lifestyle or something like that? Or modest lifestyle? I think it right. is. Is is where it's technically free. You don't have to pay for it. You're assumed to um, at least make enough money to cover your living expenses. Uh, that affords you a small like dormitory, essentially. Um, that you can stash some of your stuff in. You do have a home somewhere, at least assumed in the rules. If you're playing by, you know, uh, with these with these sort of rules, um, and so I don't think it is assumed that you always have all of your worldly possessions on your back, even though we usually play that way, right? You know, uh, but like in my game, you guys have uh, you have your dorms back at the the Fighters Guild. Mm-hmm. Or the Mages Guild, respectively. Yeah. Um, I know uh, my boyfriend's character has uh, his own dwelling elsewhere because mm-hmm. he doesn't want to be staying at the Mages Guild. That's you know, that's for the plebs. Mm-hmm. He's got to keep a certain lifestyle about him. Oh yeah, no, no, he, he can't. Uh, but uh, you know, but but then, but then you've got to manage. Okay, well, what do I have with me, and what don't I have with me? Right. You know. It always kind of cracks me up whenever I'm, I'm watching a game and I see, you know, someone who's, uh, uh, like, woken up out of a dead sleep or something like that or, you know, caught unawares in some way. And it's like, well, what's your armor class? It's 18 because I've got full, you know, half plate and a shield. And it's like, wait, what? While you sleep? While you sleep? Like, mm-hmm. n- no, buddy. You're... Have you ever slept in full plate? Yeah. You're... I've known people who've slept in full plate. <laughs> you're You're in a nightgown. Yeah. So yeah. your armor class is... 11 right you know and that's only because you got a plus one from your decks right so let's let's roll with that <laughs> exactly but and again that comes back to that micromanagement and mm-hmm. does the character does the player now feel cheated right you know well this is a game full of dragons and and magic users and people who carry everyone has a 10 foot pole and a set you know how is it weird that i'm sleeping in my armor right right you know whereas on the other hand you have the mage who goes i sleep in my mage armor mm-hmm <laughs> It's not uncomfortable. I rather enjoy it, you know. And so, so, you know, you you get a certain sense of okay, how much are you willing to accept? 
how quickly should they be able to respond to things? Mm-hmm. So, and, and I think a lot of that comes down to just you know, what is what is dramatically appropriate, mm-hmm. what is reasonably agreeable to the players, mm-hmm. and you know, agreeable to the storyteller as well. You find your happy medium there. Yeah, yeah. You know, how long does it take you to don your armor? Is mm-hmm. it one action? Or is it three actions because it's plate, you know? Um, three actions for plate. God, it's ten minutes for plate. I, well, again... That is 60 actions, sir. I'm 100% yep. with you. I'm 100% <laughs> with you. And that's that's where things get kind of interesting then when you start getting into the management and mm-hmm. what's important and what weights you put on that early. Yeah. So that everybody is on the same page. Right. So I think that's the the best thing you can take out of this as far as that is, the level of realism must be known and felt early. Mm-hmm. And you can always back off from it, but you have to stay at the level that you've set so that people can feel it. And then if they have trouble with it, you can back it off a little bit more. But you have to you have to be willing to accept and set those levels as a group. Yeah, consistency is the key, really. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. it really, really, with as with anything else, you can't be changing the rules around on things. It's just, you know... Just it, once once you do something, just make sure that that's what you're always doing with it. Um, I don't know, you got any more angles on uh, Knox's question here? Is uh, encumbrance working both positively and negatively? No, I think I I think that uh, we kind of nailed that pretty far. Yeah, I feel pretty fair. good about that one. Okay. I feel good about that one. Okay. Oh, uh, we have one more question here. Sure. I know we're, we're kind of we got a lot of time. We got like 15 minutes left if we're going by our hour format typically. Yeah. Um. But uh, Overwatch mm-hmm. asks, uh, encumbrance, ammo counts, fuel, is there a micromanagement mechanic that you feel actually adds to the feel of a particular RPG setting? Shadowrun. The, the, your lifestyles in Shadowrun adds to it, without a doubt. Yeah, okay. okay. Because you're, it's, you're working for the weekend, <laughs> basically. You're yeah. working for your lifestyle. Yeah, it, it's kind of the whole point of why you're doing mm-hmm. it. It's, you're, I mean, nobody runs the shadows, you know. I mean, no. Everybody's you, trying you to get out money. of it. Yeah. Yeah. I think games that give you a a sense of goal that is beyond like you, you establish that sense of self worth mm-hmm. ahead of time and you're working toward that mm-hmm. helps you. And any in and if it's Maybe monetary, maybe it's citation, maybe it's uh, respect, maybe it's reputation. Mm-hmm. Those types of things need to be micromanaged at a certain level so that you can feel that point of success. Hence why D&D was successful with the dungeon crawl is that money, retrieving money and and goods out of a dungeon equaled experience, which equaled g- goals. Yeah, it was it was directly your measure for, your metric for success. Correct. Right. So right. So what metrics for success do we have other than survival? Well, yeah. I and mean... that's that's what it comes down to in a game is is that not only are you going through the game for the story, but there's a certain metric of success that people look for. Is is it simply that the success is getting through the story? Mm-hmm. You know, I think that works well for dread. Yeah. You know, that's yeah. a good that you know there, but when you get to something like you know, City of Mist, there's uh there's different levels of success there, and I think that's when micromanagement can show and shine. Mm-hmm. Is when it is, and I think Shadowrun does a good job of that because it's basically getting you free of the shadows. Yeah, fair enough. So, what about you? Uh for me, I think I really got to go back to BattleTech. Mm-hmm. Um, because, uh, you know, kind of con- to, to continue the story that I was talking about where, you know, it would take us a day to do the books of just totaling up all of the costs of damage on things. Um, because we threw so much, so much into it, we started to actually think of things in monetary senses, you know? So when someone took a nasty salvo of missiles and took it all down their right side and it, mm-hmm. you know, damaged internals on their, on their arm, you know, we weren't going, oh my God, this, this person's battle mech got beat up. I hope they're okay. We're looking at it and going, oh, that's expensive to repair. Could you please stop doing that? The bank account cannot do this. Exactly. You know? Exactly. And it shifted the entire way that we, that we, that we operated. It shifted the entire way that we role played. Because trying not to go bankrupt was such a was such a huge thing when multi millions of sea bills were were trading mm-hmm. hands between everything, and then there were a few times where we like couldn't afford to repair a mech, 
or uh, it was going to take us so long to repair one that we ended up salvaging an enemy mech and throwing a few, like a million sea bills into just like repairing the cockpit because it took a headshot or something. Mm -hmm. And then fielding this like scrapped, uh, refit, poorly Mm -hmm. patched up enemy mech Mm -hmm. instead of the regular one because that one was going to take like a month and a half to repair. Right. You know, and it made for some, which which made for some really good like dramatic moments Mm -hmm. of like, you know, because we were soldiers, we were mercenaries, you know, and so the whole idea of battlefield salvage mm-hmm. and field repairs yeah. and, you know, operating on scraps of armor right, and counting every missile salvo because, you know, it takes a lot of money to reload an LRM-20. Oh, God, yeah. You know, and so sometimes, you know, you go into battle and you're like, I can fire this weapon precisely once right you know (laughs) right because because we just didn't have the money to refill it right you know and what do we do with that you know yeah and find yourself making interesting choices during battle like i'm gonna go up and punch this guy now yeah (laughs) really you're not gonna no no i can't afford i can't afford to shoot him (laughs) you know (laughs) i mean that puts a a different thing on solaris as well those types of things um but uh yeah i think anytime that you've got where the money or whatever the resource is becomes valuable to completing day-to-day things. Uh-huh. Yeah, I think the management makes it fun mm-hmm. to a degree. Um, which is why combat is fun in D&D because some of your because the major portion of success is survival. Yeah. We survived. There we go. Mhm. So yay, now you feel excited because everybody's alive or you were able to get keep people alive. That's that's the big part about D&D as a system is mm-hmm. that it is managed tactics um towards survival and when you start moving away from that it feels awkward whereas like if you're not if that's not even part of the system suddenly it's not important yeah i mean it's it's not lost on me that uh D&D 5th edition plays a lot like final fantasy tactics one of my all-time favorite games but it, it goes on that whole like you get one move you get one action sort of thing mm-hmm. um and it's a grid based movement and you know Mm-hmm. it's uh sometimes when i'm like putting together maps for what your guys combat is going to look like like the the, the final fantasy tactics soundtrack is playing in the back of my mind because <laughs> that's exactly what i'm thinking is like yeah. this is going to be a tactical battle well, how I many kinda... times at the end of combat did we go most of them most of them and of course you got you got to do that like you know two two poses arms up in the air arms down at your side just alternate between the two of them mm-hmm uh, so, uh, yeah, I'm trying to think of any other where micromanagement actually makes it. I'm, I'm heavily, uh, an anti-micromanagement person myself. Again, personal opinion, not a value statement. Um, so I very no, much. No, you're not. You're, you oh. are not because you're thinking about it the wrong way. All right. We just spent how long talking about the micromanagement of individual damage points for, di- for division two. That is micromanagement. That's not really micromanagement. It that's, is, but it's a different that's just kind. Playing, that's just playing the meta. Agreed, but I think playing the meta is a form of micromanagement. Okay, but it's enough. your form of it. It's what you're enjoying. Okay, so I'm I, I'm against micromanagement unless I'm really enjoying it. Then I'm very much for it. <laughs> then, but that's the thing is is that you have to find out what you enjoy, and a lot of times it takes people a funny thing like. I mean, we all, like, we play ARC. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of people who play survival games for different reasons. Yeah. Um, and the management of those games are different. Like, I, how many people have played an RPG where while you're playing the RPG, you just keep saving up those elixirs of health and mana, the maximum ones, because some point you're going to need them. And then literally after you beat the end boss, you look in your inventory and you have 250 of them that you've never touched. Okay, just just at me next time, okay? <laughs> But that's the whole thing is, yeah. is that yeah. it's that you you are managing those resources mm-hmm. for something, but you're getting better at it every time you do yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, I see what you're saying. Um, I I mean, but 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 here's the thing though: is it in certain contexts? Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure, I'm okay mm-hmm. with it. Like you yeah. said, vi- video games, but video games are you know, <sighs> video games are different than RPGs. I agree. You know, in in, in that they're they're an interactive media, but they're not like 
interactive in the same way the t- tabletops are. Like you're kind of you're you're putting in input, but you're getting a very canned response back out of them mm-hmm. because that's you're only going to get the response that the game is programmed to give you. You know, whereas tabletop games are all about telling very fluid, collaborative stories. You don't know what's going to happen from moment to moment. Even us as storytellers can kind of plan for certain events to, you know, and outcomes to happen, but we don't know what happens. Correct. No no story survives contact with our player groups. No, no. That is, (laughs) if if there is anything, that is the most truthful thing about any storytelling is no story survives the players stepping into it. Exactly. So if, look, if, 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 if all of that thinking is going to get taken off of my shoulders and Mm -hmm. all I have as far as interacting with a game is manipulating the canned response it gives me to get Mm -hmm. the most optimal response back out of it. Right then, yeah, I can definitely delve into the micromanagement of it, and I'm happy to do so if I'm enjoying myself. So you ready? If I'm a if I'm a storyteller, where do I put my weight? Well, if you're not getting... If you're only getting a canned response, because the storyteller is only giving you so much... But we're not. But we're not. I'm talking we, about video games when I'm talking about that. Correct. So, and I'm going to bring it back to tabletop. Okay. Is that some storytellers early on allow for the micromanagement because... They need to give space. They need to give a reason. Mm-hmm. And I think early D&D did that. Because it wasn't really storytelling so much as it was giving them a reason to go get more loot. Yeah. Now we're stepping away from that. And it's becoming less necessary. But it's because... still... But I still think there's a point for it for story, early storytellers to be able to have that breadth and time and still let things be in, be enjoyable for some of the players to give them something to do, give them something to focus on. Yeah, I think it's arguably, I, mean, I don't, I don't want to mean this like in a bad way, but it's kind of a crutch. I think it's an evolution. It's it, like, but, but for, for. Like you said, for newer storytellers, mm-hmm. I think it's it's better to have those concrete terms because you can't you haven't figured out what's reasonably dramatically appropriate for a character to just have. You don't know the limits of the system. You yeah. don't know where things fit. What's comfortable? That's why CR ratings are a thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I could put this question out to pretty much our entire Discord group and say. For those who have gamed for more than 10 to 15 years in D&D, mm-hmm. how many times do you really look at calculating out the CR rating versus your players every time you go into combat? And how many times does that make the difference on whether or not you run that counter that way? It's a gauge. Yeah. It's not an absolute. Yeah. You'll throw in some guys. You might have some guys die early. Mm-hmm. That's the difference, is that early on you don't know how five level one characters are going to go up against a stack of skeletons Mm -hmm. without the CR. Right. That rule system to help guide you through it. Nor do you know whether or not Todd is going to be an idiot or a jerk and try and skim that he has 6,000 arrows. Yeah. You know, and that's going to overshadow the wizard who literally is doing his spells by the book and is just out, Mm -hmm. you know, and early on gaming, yeah, you've you've got to play by some harder rules to help those help the storyteller and some of those early character players understand the system enough to be able to play softer in it. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think that's perfectly fair. All right, so next week's topic, uh, huh. we're going back to another system spotlight. Yeah, uh, this time we're going to kind of go back to our I think well, a lot of my roots, mm-hmm. probably no, a lot but, of yours as well. Yeah, yep. uh, we're going to be talking about the world of darkness. Yes, yes. Um, where Vampire, was, werewolf, the apocalypse, uh, uh, mage, the ascension, changeling, changeling, the dreaming, and, wraith. Uh, yes, a little bit of wraith. A little I, bit of wraith. I'd like to talk and about and wraith. And then uh, also, I would say it's uh, aspects toward uh, the LARP that it kind of birthed. Oh yeah, theater of the mind's eye. Yeah. yeah. So if yeah. Uh, the book of shadows everything uh, everything you uh wanted to know about world or of darkness, didn't want to know or, or didn't want to know but were afraid to ask That's so right. uh you can find us on twitter at st underscore conclave you can find us on instagram also at st underscore conclave uh you can listen to us live every wednesday night at 7 p.m eastern that's at mixlr.com slash storyteller dash conclave you can find our Discord link up on our Twitter at uh, or on our website at uh, https storyteller conclave.blueberry.net. We'd like to thank our Patreon members, Knox, Sam, and our, the Arcane Asylum specifically, for taking care of us and helping us every month 
on keeping this podcast alive. We appreciate it and would love to have more of you join. But mostly, come and join us on our Discord. We'd love to have you there. Our intro music is Beyond the Warriors by Gee Frog. You can find that at geefrogmusic.webly.com. And our outro music, which you're hearing now, are Only Our Footprints in the Sand by Midair Machine. You can find that at soundcloud.com slash midairmachine slash tracks. And I want to give a big, big shout out to our families, as always, uh, Vicky and Sean, for uh, being with us all this time. Um, our friends who sat us at our tables all those years, and you, every single one of our listeners. We yeah. love you. Have a safe and happy 4th of July, everyone, and please stay safe out there. Absolutely. We love you so much. Love you. Good, Good night. night.